All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis with your Metal Town Radio podcast, episode 82 of the Hordes of Chaos. So, let's get right into this. DJ Neko is back, but uh, she had to come back early from uh, her work uh, because of a family emergency. Uh, So she's got family issues going on with her mom right now. Uh, So... We, you know, initially it was going to have her come back for this episode and just try to get her mind off of some of the stuff that's going on. But right now she's having to help handle a bunch of the stuff with her family and everything. So it's not the right time for her to come back. She's going to be on hiatus for a while. No real timetable when she'll come back. But, um, you know, she might pop in here or there. You never know. We'll see how, to see how things go. But... Uh, she does have a lot to worry about and a lot on her plate right now, so we're going to give her the space to do that. Uh, I'm going to continue to do this myself, my thing, um, and try to keep you all updated with the new music that's out there and try to keep the topics interesting, etc., etc. Uh, today I do have three docs reviews to get to, also another movie review, and then one other article later on about uh, in the rock block area which I will get to. A lot of new music. Um, new Messiah, new Komiak, um, new Marilyn Manson and the Rock Block. Uh, also some new Symphony of Heaven, uh, new Necrot, Cult of Lilith, Mephistophelian. That album is fucking awesome. It actually makes one of my favorites of the year, so you'll be hearing some stuff from that. New Grave Huffer. Yes. Uh, much, much more coming your way we're gonna kick off this uh first block with some new skeletal remains one of my favorite bands uh, in recent years uh 2018's devouring mortality was one of my favorite records that year 
had a chance to see these guys a couple times uh, and got like one of my my vests my you know battle battle vest I have like a skeletal remains back patch fucking awesome uh, so they just released the entombment of chaos and not quite a perfect 10 for me it's really good still kind of letting it sink in but uh, it's a damn good record and I'm gonna play for you to kick out this block tombs of chaos and here we fucking go
right, closing out that last block. Reincarnation of Rotten Christ or Rourke for short from Leipzig, Germany. Played their brand of Death Thrash, a little bit of black metal in there. So, uh, I talked about it a few episodes back, um, the movie The Babysitter on Netflix, and, you know, it, it, it stars Samara Weaving, who I'm a big fan of, uh, as far as acting goes in recent years. I still have to see Ready or Not. It, it actually isn't available for rent right now. Uh, you can pay for it, but I don't want to do that just yet. I just want to rent it before I, you know, if I end up buying it or whatever, but, Anyway, Netflix had a movie called Babysitter back in 2017, and it starred, obviously, Samara Weaving and this gentleman, young kid, named Judah Lewis. Uh, basically, what, it, what the premise was about was Weaving played the babysitter for this young uh, Judah Lewis character named Cole, and, you know, he was dealing with some school issues, being bullied, etc., etc. He had a neighbor... Uh, Melanie played by Emily Allen Lind and basically <clears throat> uh, you know Samara Weaving's character would name B would befriend him not just you know being babysitter but they were just good friends and they would have fun together and he really liked her both as what he would consider a friend but also uh, you know had his little crush on her so then of course one night he discovers that she's not quite everything he thought she was and she ends up having like this this little group of friends who are a cult and they're trying to kill him for the rest of the, the movie uh, but you know it all plays out in its own way with the ending that I thought was a really good ending and it, the thing with the babysitter between the babysitter 1 and babysitter 2 killer queen is that their flaws are is that the movies try to be a couple of different things like there's no real certain direction because it's trying to be a little bit of everything and I think that's where the movie kind of fails a little bit um, but it, it's sort of a catch-22 because there's a lot about the movies that I like because the comedy is there uh, there's some funny comedic moments now I was surprised when I saw that Babysitter 2 actually become a movie like I didn't even expect a, a sequel to it um, and basically this movie uh, is like you know you see it like the same gang from before that were killed off are back and B's back to a degree but the movie itself actually starts playing out a little different than the first one which towards the end uh, there's, sense, there's a sense of redemption there, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I pulled up Roger Ebert's review. He slams it, of course, which, you know, I, I get it. Like, the second movie, there there are some really... It, I, I just don't know if Babysitter was a movie that you needed a sequel to, but, but to be honest, for me personally, the things that happen at the end of Babysitter 2 actually makes me happier, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it's interesting because uh, there th there's some other surprises in there that you just wouldn't expect. Especially if you've seen the first one. So, uh, the movie itself is pretty good. Again, you know what happens is, you know, this takes place two years after the first movie. Uh, Cole 
is still kind of dealing with bullying because now it's not just that he was kind of like this nerdy kid, but now not only do people not believe him because his babysitter just disappeared after the first one, but his stories, people are like thinking he's nuts, he belongs in a mental institution, including his parents who were really concerned about him. You know, they really love him, but they feel like they don't even believe him. You know, the way they look at the ending of the first movie was just him kind of like lashing out for whatever reason. They didn't understand anything else that was going on because there just wasn't anything there to, to really uh, verify what happened. So in the second one, you know, he still obviously is friends with uh, neighbor Melanie, which, you know, they share a kiss in the first movie, but now, like, Melanie has her own boyfriend, and they're still friends, and then she sees that he, Cole, still deals with some issues in school and dealing with, like, she's the only one that really believes him about the first movie. So she invites him, of course, to this, like, beach party thing weekend where he, you know, takes off with her uh and so things start to unravel there uh with regards to some of the people from the first movie so it's kind of cool uh there's another addition in there as far as a love interest etc but uh you know the second movie is it's got a lot of flaws a lot more than the first one had but at the same time there's still some pretty good stuff in there (laughs) to pick at I, I still like Roger kind of like doesn't like so much of the nostalgia comedic moments that are thrown in there like he's kind of nitpicking it he, he he goes both lines but for me I think the nostalgia part is what makes it fun um there's I'm just gonna give you one example there's one character who starts doing the uh the hammer time dance while trying to stop Cole from getting away uh, and he's making these quips while he's doing it. So, it, it to me, that shit's kind of funny. Like, it may not make sense in the long run, especially for younger viewers who just don't know those times and understand the references. But really, for a lot of us who watch horror movies and have been around for a while, those kind of things are what make some of these movies fun. Um, I don't even really remember what the time period is for The Babysitter. And it does seem like a more modern-day... You know, it's not like set in the 80s or anything, but, you know, it does have a lot of nostalgia uh, music and whatnot in it. So, I don't know. For me, it clicks. Other people, it may not. I'm not going to say Babysitter 2 is, like, better than the first one, nor do I think it's nearly as bad as Roger has given it. Like, I think it has its place. Uh, It's coherent enough to make a difference. And, And like I said, the ending of the second one, made me pretty happy uh the ending of the first one you know is a really touching moment but like i i the thing is like it just like i said the movies themselves i kind of wish they would have just like dove in on one particular vibe or feel and that's the thing i guess uh so there seems to be with both movies there's like this like lack of direction of where they really want to go with it in terms of like the characters themselves and so in two even though i'm happy at the end it still has that kind of like okay it's still missing something uh but they try and that's what i like about it and it's i don't know i think it's worthy at least to watch you know just check it out if you've seen the first one uh don't be discouraged by reviews and stuff you know i'm always one of those people that 
believes that if something looks interesting enough to you, just check it out. The worst is you don't like it and come away with it like, ah, okay, whatever. Alright, so back into the music. This next block, uh, new stuff from this band called Exerciser, which is very cool. Uh, Comaniac, and new stuff from, we're going to kick it off with Messiah, Throne of Diabolic Heretics.
Jonas from the Swiss thrash metal band Comaniac And you are about to consume pure metal with DJ Anubis Right here on the Metal Tavern Radio Maniac, Narcotic Clan, brand new stuff from them. Uh, yeah, so the liner there was provided by Vlad uh, from Arm the Pit, who I've been, I've had a working relationship with them with music for a while now, a long while now, and that was one of the bands he introduced to me to years ago. Uh, so they got a new record out there you need to all check out. Um, so one of the docs I got to was something that I had actually like I wish kind of wish Neko was here because she's actually familiar with the book and I'm not uh, but I have read enough about it to kind of get an idea about like its impact and like every like people for some kids growing up uh, the book series Goosebumps uh, was something they used to play a part of their, uh, you know, early childhood and whatnot. And for me, uh, when I watched this doc, I started thinking about a story I may have talked about a while back. Uh, a little, I forget where, I think it's Japanese, it may, but it might be a different um, Asian culture. But it, it's, it, it was a story called The Boy Who Drew Cats. And I remember reading that as a young kid. I mean, I was really young. And, like, it was both creepy yet awesome in a sense that, like, the story itself unfolded in a way you wouldn't think. And, uh, you know, just a quick rundown of that. Like, you know, you had this kid who his dad wanted him to be a certain thing, a farmer or whatever it was. and But the boy was more of an artist and he liked drawing, especially drawing cats. Like, that was his thing. And I think, and I think in a lot of ways, because I do love cats in general, that that particular story resonated with me a lot. So, here this boy is, you know, he's kind of having this dilemma with his dad about what he should do with his life. So he, he I, don't, I can't remember if his dad said, you know, you need to go find your way in the world and I think that might have been what it was and he said look you know just one of the things they were having issues with as villages was that there's this uh, creature called the Goblin King Goblin Rat King and uh, so he said when you get to a village or a place that you're gonna stay don't stay in a big open space like find somewhere small hide overnight because you know the Goblin Rat King will get you so anyway, the kid goes on his little trek, uh, basically walking earth like Cain, and comes across this, this house out in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, he's immediately taken in by all the white walls. He's like, oh, man, this is like perfect canvas for me to draw. And so he just starts going at it, you know, he starts drawing all these cats and, you know, his, his usual things, and starts to get late so he's like okay time to like maybe just chill out and go to sleep for a while finds like this little cupboard uh which he crawls into because he remembered what his dad had said about staying in open spaces so he's you know he crawls in leaves it cracked a little bit 
Uh, sometime during the night, he just hears like this growling or whatever it is, and he's kind of peeking through, and he sees like this huge ass rat monster type thing. And then, in fear, of course, he closes the rest of the cabinet and to avoid being detected by the rat. And then all of a sudden, he's hearing like all this shrieking and fighting, and you know, it's just it's crazy. It's like like blood curling screams and whatnot and eventually it dies down and he falls asleep and then the next morning he comes out and he sees like this big rat thing in the middle of the floor and it's just like gorged and bloody and blood everywhere and he's thinking to himself what the fuck just happened and then he notices like all his paintings on the walls with the cats. All each one of them has like blood around the mouth and the claws. And you know, it, it's just like he's like, wow, you know. And it's like, as a reader, you're just like, oh, that is so fucking cool. Like you know, those things actually came to life and saved his own. So and in a lot of ways, the kid becomes like a hero because he's now killed this creature that was stalking people and hurting them and whatnot via his art so anyway that's one of those stories that sticks with you over time as a kid now the doc isn't so much about that as it is about scary stories to tell in the dark now i knew nothing about this at all uh growing up but apparently it had a similar effect on people who are familiar with it and a lot of people that grew up with it it had kind of the same thing like it was one of those books of stories that was very terrifying but then it would have like almost like uh actual it actually dealt with like certain things with humans in general so like a story that in one of these stories that the, it consists of maybe laid out like a horror story but then like when you look underneath the surface it may deal with stuff like premarital sex or pregnancy or something like that you wouldn't nat naturally get it at first as a kid, but as you get older, you're like, oh, you know what? That's kind of like what that means. Now, these were all created by a guy named Al Schwartz, and he died from cancer some years later. Uh, and he, he apparently had, like, a very strained relationship with his son, who does make an appearance in his doc throughout this doc, and his son, you know, talks about some of the problems he and his father had. And I guess one of the issues with Al was that he was so inspirational to a lot of people but he was not as close to his family as he probably should have been so who knows where that disconnect came from um but as far as like his influence on people like it's it's really huge like you you watch this doc and you know there's over 40 people that are interviewed for this and they're all in all walks of life you know you have people that are photographers um there are people that are artists tattooists um one guy makes like these sculptures based upon these things and it's really really incredible like it's it's really amazing uh how like people are so into this particular book and it, how it stuck with them over the years. Uh, one person had a bunch of tattoos they were doing all over their body that was basically artwork from 
these books and you know that was part of the thing about the books and and I'll get to it in a minute but how they were kind of banned and whatnot but you know the artist that Al chose to do this made some of the most creepy and scary looking art to go along with the stories and I think that's part of what led to like this backlash and at the time that these were released to the public you know they were going into school especially young because these were all designed for like young kids like you know from ages five on up or whatever and it became a real problem of course this is this is all happening in the 80s when you know you had the satanic panic and all this other stuff going on and we kind of saw this similar when the 90s when all of a sudden harry potter was becoming a problem for people because of the witchcraft aspect and people but see people really didn't understand really what harry potter was all about like they just wanted to assume the worst and i think that's what happens with stuff like this people see what's going on there's one particular lady they interviewed that had been a big uh, advocate to ban the book uh back in the 80s and you know her position pretty much was you know it wasn't something that should have been uh available to very young kids but see some other parents who had young kids say look it to me, kids need to know how to approach parents about death and stuff like that. And that's, you know, there's arguments on both sides of that. You know, some people thought it was too much, that it scared kids too much. But really, if you think about it, I don't know about any of you, but for me, always growing up, I always wanted to watch horror movies when I was really young. Like, it was always like me, you know, my dad be like, yeah, you're too young to see this. And then, like, late at night, if I was sneaking to get up to watch whatever because I wasn't tired, you know, I'd pull on, like, a horror movie. Yeah, it scared me, but that that's sort of, like, the drive that we like to have as humans. You know, there's a part of us that like to be scared. There's a part of us to see, you know, the taboo of the unknown or whatever. You know, that's just how we are. That's sort of the stuff that shapes us growing up, you know, being scared, happy, uh, joyful, whatever. But uh, in a lot of ways for the people in this doc, you know, that's how this book affected them. It was like they had lessons to learn, but then, like, you know, they were also enjoyed being scared to a degree. That was the whole point. Um, you know, you can get nightmares from just about anything. And even at old age, people can still have nightmares, but... You know, we tend to, like, try to shield kids from scary stuff because we think that it's going to be harmful, but it really not. You know, they try to make the argument that some kids who read these books end up becoming killers or whatever, but there, there's really never been never any factual evidence when it comes to stuff like that or even uh, music. You know, if you have someone, if you go back to the Columbine shootings, with the kids, you know, yeah, they were listening to stuff like Marilyn Manson and stuff like that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those that music was what drove them to do what they do. In fact, I would argue that, you know, some of the shit they dealt with in school as far as being bullied and whatever else led to a lot of that. Um, you know, eventually, if you're pushed to a certain limit, even as a kid, you're going to lash out in some way, shape, or form. For some of the others, some of us others, you know, it's not like we may not get violent in terms of like 
hurting other people, but, you know, if you ever rebelled against your parents or, you know, just talked back or whatever, there's a point where you just have had enough of something and you just fight back. Um, but then there's other things, like, for me, heavy metal music and whatnot was, like, my outlet for a lot of my shit that I dealt with growing up and my depression and whatever, so... If some people saw scary stories to tell in the dark as even, you know, maybe not at five, but, you know, whatever, growing up, you might have said to yourself, well, this is my way of channeling the issues I'm dealing with through this. And I don't think some people who have tried to ban this kind of stuff actually understand a lot of that concept. You know, a lot of people think that you need to have a lot more positive impacts like, you know, religion or whatever to get through some people that does work others it does not for me it never was uh, a true way to get through all the tough shit that I was dealing with it was just I needed to be angry I just had to be angry about something and I could either use it as a violent way to get you know lash out at people and do bad things to people or I can listen to angry music and just let it vent out through that and that's how basically metal music played a part in my life even now, like, I may not be as angry as I once was. I'm, I mean, I'm older. I've learned a few things over the years and how to deal with stuff. But as a kid, you know, you're not that, you don't have that luxury. Because you're not, you're not just dealing with shit in the schools when you have other kids who are dealing with their own issues. But, uh, you know, you're dealing with family issues and just, you know, whether or not you were like a top grade student, you know, you're dealing with the pressures of that. There's many different things that play into that. Girls, you know, relationships with boys, etc., etc. I don't want to drag on about it, but this doc is just like a very good look into how much of an impact this guy had as a writer. Um, there was a movie in 2019 made based on this. It was directed by Andre Overdahl and produced by Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro. I have not seen that yet. Um, I'm not even sure how good it is or not, but, you know, I know, I remember at the time it was released, people were, like, really freaking out about how happy they were about it. Uh, this is when I first heard Neko talk about it, because she was familiar with it, but um, I've never seen or read any of the stuff on this, so I, I need to kind of, like, just get into it and kind of look at it. Uh, it certainly looks interesting, but the doc itself is pretty amazing. Uh, it's on Netflix right now if you have Prime, so be sure to check it out. Alright, into the music again, kicking off this block with brand new stuff from Typhus, it's called Terror Zone, I'll be back in a little bit.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright, DJ Nubus. Back with you, episode 82 of Hordes of Chaos. Getting ready to hit our rock block. All brand new stuff coming your way. Pinball Wizard, Martin Gretsch, Cobra Spell, Pre-Dawn. Brand new stuff from Marilyn Manson. We got a little bit to talk to you after that. Kicking all off, though, from Grand Sounds Promotions, a band called Enigma Experience, progressive rock band. The song is called Lone Wolf. And here we go with our rock block. Thank you. 
said I apologize It's hard to hold my tongue Rationale Pass me Oh, boy. 
Do you live life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Dillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Keppel City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar. Yeah.
come get it. Your lip. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Alright, closing out that rock block, brand new stuff from Marilyn Manson called Perfume from his new album, We Are Chaos. Now, interesting thing that I discovered, but I'm going to tell you my whole opinion on this in a minute. The day, this was only released like about a week or so ago, uh, We Are Chaos, and I don't know, I was perusing Twitter and you know, I was seeing like what was like highlighted on Twitter and you know, what was all the big things happening. And apparently when Manson released this, there was already a backlash of a piece of uh, video from one of his former lovers, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, who was testifying about some abuse that she had dealt with when she was 18, which, had been around, which would have been around the same time that she was dating Manson. But... The thing about it is, there's an article on um, MetalDevastationRadio.com uh, posted back in April of this year that was talking a little bit about it, and she never actually comes out and names Manson as the abuser, and when she was questioned about like why she didn't name it, she said that the person that had abused her threatened her life and everything else, which could be true. And it could very well mean Manson, but I have some problems with that only because I think in order to really have that happen, I don't believe that someone who, like the things that she describes, I don't think it's going to happen to just one person. I don't believe that abusers of any kind single out specific people. Um, you have to understand that Manson at one time was engaged to Rose McGowan for a couple of years. Uh, and Rose, if you're not familiar with, uh, was one of the victims of Harvey Weinstein uh, with rape. And she's a very vocal individual when it comes to, I think I talked about this like an episode or two ago, how she just, she'll call out bullshit from anybody. And I've never heard her ever mention Manson in terms of any kind of abuse or rape or anything like that to the point that, uh, you know, she would not be shy to come forward with any of that regarding him. Uh, also, uh, Manson was married to uh, Dita Von Teese for a while from 2005-2007. Uh, this was around the same time that uh, he began a relationship with uh, Rachel Wood. And you haven't heard Dita Von Teese mention anything about this. Uh, the only reasons for their falling out apparently had to do with his partying, his drinking, and the fact that she says that he was a little too close to a female, which may have been Rachel Wood at the time. Uh, so I'm not really sure if... Evan Rachel Wood is actually discussing or talking about Manson within all this. Uh, it could be someone else entirely, but it seems like a lot of people have already assumed that Manson is the person uh, who she's referring to. Uh, this is the problem with social media and, you know, basically placing judgment or guilty, uh, a guilty verdict on someone without 
them even being able to defend themselves or even have anyone like she hasn't even mentioned anybody by name so like it's kind of funny that people have already stated that Manson is the one that is guilty of doing all this shit to Evan Rachel Wood again it, it could be him but there are too many things that aren't lining up with it for me to really cast this kind of like dispersion on him I do not know I think one of the problems that people in time you know in general have is and this has sort of been the problem with metal and rock for years is that people look at the rock and roll lifestyle and through heavy metal and they see the imagery and everything else and think oh you know they must be into satanism or this or that and it's really a lot of it's just like stick and like an image that they portray uh, Manson aka David Warner is actually a pretty intelligent guy um, doesn't mean he can't abuse people or women in general but I just I'm not really seeing anything line up to show that he's actually the one that she's referring to here I, if she had said it by name then I would be like okay well then this is something that you need to really look into but the way that Twitter was responding to all this I was under the assumption that she was actually naming him by name she never does uh, so that that that's just I think people are jumping to a conclusion that may not even be there anyway that's all I wanted to say on that like I said metaldevastationradio.com that's just a little article on it it doesn't it doesn't even explain what I just talked about with the name uh, being mentioned at all but they kind of tried to allude to it with a question mark which is kind of silly um, one of the other docs I got to recently um, I can't remember if it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I'm assuming Netflix, but it's called Netflix versus the World, and it's a look back on how Netflix became one of the biggest, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the biggest uh, movie corporations in the world or streaming services, whatever. Uh, I was talking with Neko a little bit about it when I started watching because it started to remind myself about the days like we her and i we first discovered netflix probably around 2004 or 5 somewhere in that range maybe actually back 2002 or 3 it might be even earlier than that and that was the early stages of netflix when they were still sending out dvds and we found them by mistake like what happened was one of our neighbors was using their service and the DVD got sent to us by mistake and when we got it, I was like wow well this is kind of cool like hi. so we took it to the neighbor obviously so he can have his DVD and we asked him about it and he said yeah you know you order through the service they send you a DVD and then when you, you know you send it back and you get another one you know with your you know whatever your interests are and we signed up and started doing it. It was relatively cheap. And we really enjoyed it. It was really cool. You know, it would just be sent to your house. Uh, and then after a while, they started doing, like, you know, do three movies. Keep them as long as you want. Send them back. Get another three movies, etc. And we did this for a while. Until about 2012. Um, when they started going streaming. Now, at the time that that happened... Uh, streaming was still early in its uh, formation so like they didn't have a lot to choose from so we were still kind of doing the DVD ordering at that point and it, the really other cool thing was you know much like with Blockbuster 
uh, and some of these other ones, uh, th you had the choice to buy them, although the only difference is, I think at the time, a Blockbuster, if you were to buy a movie outright, it would actually cost you a pretty penny for to do that, because, it, you know, this is how it was. By the time Netflix started doing it, you weren't really getting the, uh, you know, the box cover or anything like that, but if you wanted to buy it for, like, whatever, 15, 20 bucks, you could. Maybe not even that much at the time, but... Because all you would get was, like, this little plastic sleeve to keep it in. And, I don't know, I didn't really buy many at the... Because, you know, part of the thing about owning DVDs is, like, CDs and everything else is that you want the cover art and everything else. So, we didn't do much of that, but the service itself was awesome. And then, of course, Netflix finally just kind of blew up and you know as far as the streaming service and they sort of they still actually had the dvd service they just it was another part they sold it or at least divided it up so they just had their streaming service and their dvd service and uh you know i find early on with the, this doc it talks about how netflix actually toyed with the idea of mailing vhs cassettes now this is going way back to like the late 90s when they started coming up with these concepts but Obviously, the issues there are cassettes, uh, VHS cassettes are very bulky. So they were, and they were constantly finding ways to try to get around it. Even early on with the DVDs, like with the mailers, they had to be careful because when you were sending these DVDs through the mail, uh, the mail service itself would have these machines that would run you know, letters through these machines and it could bend them and whatever else that they at first were taking a risk by doing that because the DVDs could have gotten damaged by going through these machines. So they had to find a way to make it work with the DVDs. So I, I forget exactly how exactly they finally uh, worked it all out, but you know, they eventually came with these little sleeves and they had padded mailers a little bit and they would send them in these red envelopes um and then of course you know that the the other part of this is their battle with blockbuster and some of these other uh video rental stores that were out there like you know blockbuster was their biggest competitor and at one point blockbuster almost overtook netflix uh when it came to doing the uh you know sending DVDs to your house and whatnot, and having the red box, and you know, Blockbuster started doing a lot of different things to try to overtake Netflix, which almost did. Like, it was really scary because for a long time, Blockbuster's worst thing was their uh, late fees. Like that was constant. And it gets brought up in his doc because that was constantly an issue with people who were renting movies. Like Netflix avoided all that. That's one of the things that people enjoyed about it. Because they didn't have to worry about those late fees. Because I remember having a Blockbuster card. And God forbid if you were late one day, man. It was like 15 extra bucks or some shit. It was really off the wall crazy. Um, Blockbuster finally decided to do away with that. And of course they had the, the commercial. Which fucking talked about it. And you know made fun of the fact. Oh no more late fees. So but they were almost on the verge of taking over Netflix. As far as like. The numbers and the sales and their, you know, reputation and everything else. And then they made the grave mistake of switching their CEOs. Um, they just totally fucked 
the pooch there with that, and they went, and then they all of a sudden just fell apart again. And Netflix at that time started moving on to their streaming service part of it, and that really took off. And so the funny thing about Netflix is they've always been forward thinking. They've always been uh, jumping ahead of the game, and, and Blockbuster and the like have always been trying to play catch up. They just couldn't do it. Uh, they just couldn't overtake them. So. While those services are still out there, uh, Netflix is probably still king. Now, the issue we have seen re within the last two or three years is that when you have uh, actual movie companies and corporations like Disney saying to themselves, well, currently we were letting Netflix play our stuff on their stuff, but they were really making money off our own stuff. So now you see Disney have their own app, came out last year. And they're taking their content and, you know, other companies like Stars, HBO, whatever, doing the same fucking things. They're, they're, even though Netflix still has some of that content, most of these other companies are taking it back and using their own streaming services because they want to make the money off their own products. Which is why you see Netflix making their own movie now they have their actual movie making they started doing this a few years ago and it has caught fire and they've had a lot of great shows and movies they have some duds in there as well but every movie company has the same issue disney doesn't always have hits and so on and so on uh so it's a really interesting documentary called netflix versus the world it's very enlightening to the battle between blockbuster and netflix and just you know, how innovative Netflix was throughout the entire time and what they were always trying to do for the person it was always about. For them, Netflix was always about loyalty, and that's one thing they stressed a lot. And Blockbuster, of course, like I said, they really had a hard time early on, especially with those late fees and crap. And they just, and Blockbuster really didn't think Netflix would survive. And even Netflix themselves early on did not think they would survive because they didn't know how they would do. And there's a funny part about how early on when they first went live online, and this is late 90s, you know, you still had AOL, dial-up, shit like that, and their website crashed within, like, the first couple of hours. So they had to, like, revamp it and, you know, put a lot more resources into their internet part of it in order to sustain all the orders they were getting. So... It's very enlightening. It's very cool. It's an interesting documentary to check out. I highly recommend it uh, for those that are interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, in our next block, some new stuff from Fjord, also Thuriaz. Uh, but we're going to kick it off with a guy, uh, Logan Thompson, who I met a few years ago online on Facebook. His uh, project, Sifia Heaven. Uh, very cool band. I remember hearing the season of death that he released in 2017. Uh, War of the Wind is like still one of my favorite tracks from that record. Uh, he has a new EP called The Ascension of Extinction that came out. Uh, I've got a track called Death March uh, here to play for you now. So we're going to kick it all off. New stuff, Symphony of Heaven, and here we go. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they may believe a lie. That they all might be down to believe not the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent ya. DJ New is back with you, episode 82 of the Hordes of Chaos, here on the Metal Time Radio Podcast. So, the last doc I want to get to, basically, uh, back in 2018, I watched this documentary on uh, The Beast of Bray Road, uh, not knowing very much about it. Uh, deals with a town called Elkhorn in Wisconsin, uh, as you know, if you're familiar, a lot of different states in America or even across the world, they all have like their own kind of mythos and legends of creatures and whatnot. Scotland always had the Loch Ness monster. Um, then there's the Winnebago uh, Lake monster. I forget where that's at exactly, but this particular creature was a supposed werewolf that like stalked this uh, town of Elkhorn for many years and for a long time. The reports. And sightings were never reported. And then in uh, 2018, they released uh, a doc from uh, Small Town Monsters, uh, directed by, um, who was this, Seth Breedlove, and narrated by Lyle Blackburn. So I went and revisited it the other day, and I actually caught some newer things that I hadn't like remembered before, or even took notice of when I was watching it. It's a very interesting thing. It deals with a lot of different... Uh, mythology and, and myth and lore, uh, legend lore about how it is, if it even exists. Uh, different uh, accounts of people that have seen it, uh, the different looks that they think, it, you know, when they describe it and take the uh, drawings of what they think they saw, you know, it just, it's very interesting. Uh, obviously, they tie in, like, the occult and possible Satanism-directed uh connection to maybe why this creature is out there uh one of the more interesting things i found was just their mention of the creature itself and how it's kind of portrayed uh not only in the mythology of uh elkhorn uh wisconsin but the way they described it mentioned about this uh the beast of gravadon uh, in France during a certain time period where this creature was stalking the local village of people. And if you're not familiar, one of my favorite movies of all time is 2001's uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, which actually deals with this particular lore mythology about the Beast of Gravadon. And uh, even though there's a lot of other stuff going on within the movie itself, uh, it's a very cool uh, movie. Um, now, what's portrayed in the movie, as far as the creature itself, isn't the same what's portrayed in Wisconsin, but it's all kind of tied in. Uh, you also have, like, uh, approaches in terms of Native American uh, lore connection, like 
uh, they even mentioned to a degree Wolfen, uh, if you've ever seen the movie um, Wolfen from like the early 80s, deals with like the spirituality of how wolves play a factor into Native American culture and how they fight against technology and that's one of the things they kind of bring up about how this creature may be all of a sudden showing up because you know as we expand as humans and you know cutting down uh forest or like like out there in wisconsin where this is all happening it's mostly farmland but that could be a reason why with the activity of people you know the town getting bigger or whatever people are coming across this creature more often or whatever uh but it's very interesting i'm you know obviously i'm a big werewolf guy uh I may have to, I think it's only like a six hour drive from here in Maryland, so I might have to like grab Necco on a long weekend and try to go up there and just drive down uh, this road and see if uh, we can come across this kind of creature. I mean, it's sort of like asking for trouble if it actually exists, but at the same time, it's just one of those things that would be kind of fun to do. I know Necco and I have talked about going to some hunting haunted house places and traveling around a little bit trying to do some of that because we have just an interest in it in general so i think it'd be a lot of fun to do that but this is an interesting documentary that you should check out for sure uh it's called the beast of bray road it's on amazon prime it's only about 66 minutes but it really covers a lot of ground uh it's very interesting all right well let's plow on here uh Starting this next block, got some new necrot. This is called Stench of Decay.
Cowboy Radio. This is my cowboy from my world. Turn it up and remember,
yeah! Cancer Foss into the void. DJ Anubis with your Mail Time Radio, the podcast, episode 82. Getting ready to close it out here. Very cool thing, though, about the uh, Tyranno track before the last one, Cold Embrace. That entire album, by feel and risk, reminds me a lot of classic Celtic Frost. It was really, really cool to hear that record the way they did it. Very awesome. Uh, okay, so we got one track left. I do want to say thank you all for tuning in, sticking with us uh, here on the Metal Time Radio Podcast. Appreciate it very much. Um, as I said, Neko will be out for a little while. Uh, we'll probably hear from her here and there, but um, she's got some other matters to uh, focus on right now. Uh, special thanks to Sky Nielsen Promotions for continued support of the Metal Time Radio Podcast. Uh, also, um, our last track here, Richie Randall from, uh, Gravehuffer sent me a new single for the band, Gravehuffer, and, uh, very cool band out of Missouri, had a chance to meet them online, uh, before, and he's a very cool guy, I talked to him a little bit here and there, so, Got a new track for you called Ghost Dance to close it all out. Again, special thanks to Grand Sounds Promotion for the track they gave us for the Enigma experiments. And, uh, of course, all the other uh, labels and promotional sites that we work with that send us new stuff every week. You'll be hearing some more new stuff next week. Didn't have a lot today to give you, but a few couple in there for you. Either way, here's a uh, new Grave Huffer to close us out. This is called Ghost Dance. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care, all. <laughs>